spirituality, consciousness, health, and mindset. Welcome to the Ascend Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. Together, we are all wisdom and knowledge. Hey, what is up everyone? This week on the Ascend podcast, we are joined by Charlie Morley. We met up with Charlie in London and our good friend Torak Mises, who's also been on the podcast, very kindly allowed us to use his amazing studio to record this one, which is called Pandora Star. So if you're ever in London, please give his place a check out and look it up. Really is an incredible place. What I, And what I would call it is sort of a futuristic mind spa dedicated to the exploration of consciousness. So anyway, Charlie was such a cool guy. And as you will tell, in this one, we had such a relaxed, cool conversation with lots of laughs as well. And also at the same time, Charlie had some really incredible stories and lessons that he's learned from his practice of lucid dreaming. So anyway, Charlie Morley is a lucid dreaming teacher and practitioner of Tibetan Buddhism, specialising in both Western scientific and Tibetan Buddhist dream practices with the aims of bringing mindful awareness into all stages of dream, sleeping and waking life. And he's also the author of Dreaming Through the Darkness and Dreams of Awakening. And I also just wanted to say, if you've got a few spare nickels and if you want to throw them in the direction of this podcast, it really would be appreciated. And it helps us keep this ship going and gives us a little bit of support when we are traveling across the country to bring you the best in-person conversations we can. And just in general, if this podcast is an important part of your consciousness and week and you're getting some value or entertainment or whatever, we really would be appreciated if you could sign up to our Patreon page. And we also have quite a cool little Patreon subscribers community Facebook thing going on now, which we have a lot of people interacting in there. It would really also be cool to see you in there as well when you become a Patreon. And it was really great sitting down with Charlie. We loved sitting down and talking to him. And just in general, we love having the opportunity to talk to really interesting people. And in the process, bring you along for the journey. And you're a big part of this journey too. So anyway, we love you all and enjoy this conversation. Peace out. do this <laughs> so anyway thank you so much for um, joining us as well really is a pleasure and wanted to actually get on the podcast for a while now um but just before we do start diving deep what actually inspired you to sort of dive into the world of lucid dreaming and things like that um this is interesting so i was talking to todd about this before we came in mm-hmm. what i say in my books i think is that when i was like 12 years old i got interested in lucid dreaming and i wanted this lucid dreaming sleep mask uh-huh. for my birthday and stuff like that that is true but actually there's something more true, um, but a bit more scatological, which is I used to wet the bed till I was like late seven, maybe even eight years old. And I would be in the dream. I would really need to pee. So my bladder would like basically wake me up in the dream. Mm. 
And I'd be in the dream going, oh, I really need to pee. I should wake up and go to the toilet. But then the sharks under the bed will get me. That was my main fear. It was under the bed, <laughs> sharks. And they came out and they got your ankles. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck this. I, well, I don't know what I said at that age. I'm, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay in bed. So then I would find a toilet in the dream and go for a pee. And then, you know, the same thing would happen every time. I'd then wake up and, and I'd wet the bed. But I think actually at that age, it was kind of creating a program in my mind that was allowing me to know when I was yeah. dreaming, as I was dreaming. But really, I guess consciously, it was when I was about 12. I started to get interested in lucid dreaming and stuff like that. And then again, when I was 15, 16, I got interested in um, lucid dreaming, Buddhism, Shaolin Kung Fu. I was listening to Wu-Tang Clan, which had lots of like buddhist things yeah. in it, or what I thought were buddhist things are actually Taoist comments, uh, Taoist quotes. Um, yeah, so a 16-year-old, 15-year-old looking for something cool to do, bought some books, learned how to do it, and then was just using it for sex and skateboarding yeah. for like three years before I got into Buddhism and found out it was a spiritual practice. Yeah, I was when you when oh, I've had a feeling you were going to see a sex. I was actually thinking in my mind how many um, how many wives do you have in have, have in the lucid dream world? <laughs> well, is this like a Muslim question? Like how many wives am I allowed in? in the world? I, I'm not sure how many wives a Buddhist is allowed in any it? dream state. Um, yeah, God, I don't know. I'm, I'm, me and my wife, who's a brilliant lucid dreamer, have let Was each other dream? off. In the I don't dream. think so. Yeah. Not tonight. <laughs> if it's in the dream, it's okay. Yeah. But we've actually had times where we've woken up. We both had it. Where we both had dreams that the other has cheated on us, and we're really annoyed with each other for oh. the rest of the day. I'm like we should know better, right? We're the dream guys. Yeah. But still, you're like, she's so. like, it was dream Jade. It was dream Jade. And I was like, it was still Jade. Yeah. <laughs> it's, in, it's interesting before how you said about um, wetting the bed and things and. And uh, I was actually very similar when I was younger. I was about, um, I mean, I, I maybe I was probably older than you, maybe ten years old. I mm-hmm. went to bed ill, and I, um, I used to visualize myself like Todd was saying before, who we were talking to, visualize myself going to the toilet in the dream, and actually thought I was awake and yeah. I was having a wee. False awakening. And then woke up in the morning. I was like, oh no, shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel left out. No, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. Well, tonight, you know, <laughs> tonight. drink a lot of water. <laughs> get lucid wet the bed you can be part of the crew <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because i think it could be a, i've tested it as well and i think it might be a symptom of um like deep sleep so like, like a child because a lot of children do wet the bed when they're younger mm-hmm. and i was actually thinking could it just be a symptom of a child being in a deeper state of like we have so much things running in our mind all the time when we're in our day life and i think that can transfer into you when you're sleeping at night mm-hmm. and i think when you're younger you don't have many problems you have no many fears you're just being a kid and you're just playing and i think you're so deep in your, who you are as you're so deep as a person who you are you're not worrying about the world that you just you might your body biologically might become so relaxed that you just wee the bed that's what i was thinking could be could be. I mean, there is a counter theory that bed wetting is often due to some sort of childhood abuse and stuff. Oh, really? Because I remember I got like, you know, I remember kind of seeing a child psychologist and stuff. It was then that they said, why are you wetting the bed? Wow. And I said like, oh, because I'm in the dream. I know I'm dreaming. And then like, I don't want to wake up because of the sharks. Because they thought it was some like deep, deep seated childhood trauma. Wow. And then they decided on a, a light night, th- a, you know, little thing that you plugged in and illuminated the bedroom. And then I stopped wetting the bed. Do you think that could just be the, also a, I mean, it's definitely a possibility as well, but it couldn't, do you think that could be the conditioning as well? Because I remember um, I had a fa- another family member, a young child who was weighing the bed and the, the, f- the parents would get angry, not to mention any names, but the parents would get really angry and it, it seems like a social conditioning that it's, it's not natural to, to, for a child to weigh the bed. So maybe yeah. people start making stories of why it's unnatural and things yeah. like that. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. 
any bedwetting experts out there, get in touch. <laughs> the Ascend podcast. We need you to talk about bedwetting. When Again, you... for the <laughs> third episode. <laughs> um, when you were talking before about um, how you got into yoga and stuff like that as well, um, I think if I'm correct as well, I read somewhere that you um, were interested in the Buddhist or the Buddhist version of dream and with the dream yoga. Yeah. Is that, is that correct? Well, yeah, that's what I that's what I teach. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So could you could you actually just sort of go into what dream yoga is and explain like the foundations behind it? Basically? Yeah. So this term dream yoga. So when I first heard the term, I thought it was like doing asanas in your sleep or something. Mm. How is how is yoga yeah. about you know how can you dream and do yoga at the same time? But it's yoga meaning union. So it's the union of the conscious mind and the unconscious unconscious mind within the dream mm. state. Uh, so in Tibetan, the term is milam. So the the yoga milam means dream. So it's the yoga of the dream state. Uh, and it is, to say dream yoga is Tibetan Buddhist lucid dreaming isn't wrong, but it's not the full picture. Right. Dream yoga is the term given to a series of practices found within Tibetan Buddhism that have lucid dreaming at their foundation, but can in some categorizations also include what in the West we call astral projection and what in the West we might refer to as conscious sleeping. Um, but lucid dreaming is the foundation of dream yoga. But once you become lucid, it's very different from the, the practices are very different from the ones in the West. I mean, they involve things like, you know, to get lucid, you fall asleep, visualizing yourself in the form of a red, naked, female, wrathful deity. Sorry about that, guys. No, that's all right. Is that nothing else matters? It's that bloody bedtime wet. I'm going to have to tell them, like, we've not come back on. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it, guys. I'm not. <laughs> Um, so I was going to say again before when you were saying about um, the Tibetan dream yoga. Do you guys cut or do you just carry no, on? I'll just carry on. Oh, okay. Just carry on. Um, okay, we're gangsters like that. When you, were talking, <laughs> when you were talking about the dream yoga before, did they, is it correct that they also used it as a, um, a ritual for the, to prepare themselves for death? Yeah, so the, yeah. the, main, oh. the main point of dream yoga practice is preparation for death. Wow. Because it's said that when you die and before you're reborn, you enter the, the after-death bardo state, which is said to be dreamlike and hallucinatory in nature. It's not literally a dream, but it's dreamlike. Um, most of us die as we dream, completely unconsciously. Like 99.9% .9 of the world's population will not die consciously in love and light. They will die completely unconsciously, Whoa. blacked out, unfortunately. But apparently, if you can train in lucid dreaming, then you might be able to die consciously because when the dreamlike apparitions, when the dreamlike hallucinations of the after-death bardo state set in, once your mind stream is separated from the physical body, if you've trained in lucid dreaming, you might be able to recognize that. So basically, rather than going, aha, I'm dreaming, you'd go, aha, I'm dead. Uh, and if wow. you could go, aha, I'm dead, and be fully conscious of the point of death, it's said to open up the potential of full spiritual awakening. Have you, could, you, have you, you, could you actually describe a practice where, see, see, I could even try that myself now? Every lucid dreaming practice. Doesn't matter what Just, the practice what is. is. Anytime you learn to wake up in your dreams and go, aha, I'm dreaming. What I thought was real is actually a three-dimensional projection of my mind. It's that habit that will come over into death. Because when the three-dimensional projections of your own mind arise at death, like the classic one is the life review, right? Where your life flashes before your yeah, eyes. These are, these are the projection. This is the hallucination. If you can recognize that and go, oh, right, I'm dead or I'm in the dying process, then you recognize a mind that is beyond the limits of both the ego and the physical form, which do die at death. But of course, the mind stream goes on. So the only thing that's stopping you being enlightened right now or knowing that you're already enlightened is your body and the ego mind linked to the body. Oh. 
if you could become conscious of the mind that was unhindered by the body and unhindered by the self-doubt of the ego mind, you would recognize enlightenment, apparently. So at death, that happens. Even an ant that you might squash on, the way, on your way home today, the moment you kill that ant, there will be a moment where it has a flash of its own enlightened nature because everything has enlightened nature, from squid to Satanist, from you know, an ant on the floor to Anton Deck yeah. of the telly. You know, <laughs> everyone has Buddha nature. It doesn't matter. Every sentient being has Buddha nature. Um, so dream yoga practice allows you to prepare to recognize your Buddha nature at the point of death, and apparently that can lead to full spiritual enlightenment. Of course, I have no idea whether that's true, right? Yeah. I, I can't remember dying. I was going to say, I think that would be a more peaceful, um, peaceful and like ceremonious version of how to die, really, because you can, you can kind of feel like um, an already in a place of peace because you've already got the relevance towards it. Very good point. Exactly. So I have no proof as to whether 15 years of lucid dreaming practice will actually help me at the point of death. But I can definitely say if someone came in now and put a gun to my head, yeah, a lot of me would be going, fuck, don't kill me, don't kill me. But a big big portion of me would be going okay showtime so you're a lot less let's fearful of death as well, yeah, yeah. Mm. far far less fear around death if you do this practice mm. or not only if you do the practice if you believe as i do that the practice prepares you for death if you if you've entered into that belief system and i'm aware it is simply a belief system um but anyone who's had the privilege to spend time with people who are who are dying or on a palliative care ward or, or helping people through the death and dying process anything that can help reduce fear mm-hmm. and help move someone through the death process with a little bit more mindfulness and a little bit less fear is worth doing so i'm covering my bases with lucid dreaming i don't know whether it's going to help me at the point of death but i kind of wonder why they would lie to me and it's not just in tibetan buddhism in the toltec mexican tradition of mexico they also say lucid dreaming prepares you for death in the sufi tradition of mystic islam they also say lucid dreaming prepares you for death in the ancient gnostic christian tradition okay they don't they don't precisely say it but they use lucid dreaming as a metaphor for waking up at the point of uh, ultimate nature, which is like death. So it's lots of traditions are saying the same thing. So that makes me think there's probably some truth in it. Mm. And lucid dreaming is just fun to learn anyway. Yeah. So you might as well learn <laughs> yeah, it because yeah, it's super yeah, yeah. fun. And there's a cool side effect. Maybe it will help <laughs> you get enlightenment at the point of death. Like everyone's a winner, right? Yeah, that's awesome. That. Uh, <laughs> one of the things that when you talked about dream yoga, um, one of the first things that popped in my mind was, um, was the use in yoga of the body to reach the um, to reach the present, to reach the um, the consciousness. So when you're in the unconscious state, it's kind of like the body is separate. So is it is it sorry? Is there still a connection with the body in the stream yoga, or mm. is the body completely separate? Mm. Good question. The Buddhist view would be slightly different. The Buddhist view is actually the the in the dream state, the mind is still contained within this body. You know, it's not an out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still contained within the body. And in fact, from a Buddhist point of view, the reason you have a lucid dream is not what the Western scientists would say, which is the reactivation of the prefrontal cortex within yeah. the REM dream state. Like That's the biological definition of what happens in lucid dreaming. They'd say it's when energy enters into the central channel. So all of the lucid dreaming practices you're doing are to bring the, the chi or the prana, or in um, Tibet, uh, Tibetan, we call it like lung, but it's kind of like chi, the, the wind energy, into the central channel where you have your central chakras. When that happens, you become lucid. So actually, it is about using the body. And there are a lot of like body positions. So you fall asleep in certain positions, blocking certain nostrils, blocking certain ear holes, putting your eyes in certain positions. So you're using the body uh, to, to help you have lucid dreams. Things like sleeping upright, like on the four-year retreat, um, 
the practitioners will usually not lie down for four years. Wow. So they're kind of 12 hours a day at least kind of meditating all day like this. And then come nighttime, you're allowed to do this. Lean back against the back of your like meditation Crazy. cushion, but you should stay in full like full cross-legged position. I've, I'm not sure everyone does for the entire four years, um, but that's the aim because oh. staying upright again makes it easier for, for energy to enter the central oh, channel. So I think it is still connected to the body. Wow, yeah. It's just because um, the, the movement patterns in yoga uh, and the connection to the breath when you perform these yoga, pan, uh, yoga movements. And I was thinking, because you're actually separating yourself to the, um, the vast unconsciousness, is, is that, um, that going to play like a hindrance? Or, but then again, it might play like more of a strengthening impact because primarily you are just focusing on the mere factors of the breath and of the, um, of the mind. Yeah, you want, you want a strong body. There, mm-hmm. In fact, there's a whole range of, of, of literal physical yoga exercises that you do to prepare yourself for the internal dream yoga exercises. Oh, wow. Um, and those are, do look like what in the West would call kind of yoga exercises. What, what is, is there any sort of like psychological triggers that you use? Because I was taught once about it. Um, we had a guy on the podcast called Robert Wagner. I'm not sure if you oh, familiar yeah. with him. Yeah. And he, was, he taught me about a technique called, he said, tonight when I dream, I'll see my hands. And when I, when I, when I see my hands, I will realize I'm, I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. Yeah. And I did that for, um, I mean, I've, had, I've talked about this many times in the podcast of some of the, the crazy lucid dreams that I've experienced. But that, I use that as a psychological trigger. Have mm. you, do you use that psychological trigger? Yeah, or do you have that other exact ones? one. Is yeah. that one? Yeah. Wow. So you, you've all your practice, all your years, you've just you stick with the same one. Does, do you feel that the same the same practice works all the time, or do you? No, I have to change. So the hand one is like a really well known lucid dreaming um, yeah. thing. In the there are different ones, like in the Mexican, uh, in the Toltec Mexica tradition of ancient Mexico, they also use a reality check. But rather than looking at their hand during the day and asking themselves, "Am I dreaming?" Yeah. and then having the practice of trying to bring your hands into your dreams and yeah, knowing that you're dreaming. Um, they look at their nose, the tip of their nose, because if you're in a dream, you don't have a nose because, of course, you're not dreaming through your face. You're dreaming through your mind. So if something dreamlike happens in the day to a Toltec Mexica practitioner, like, like Sergio Magani, right? he's a brilliant guy. Get him on your podcast, actually, if you can, if you can nail him down next time he's in London. Um, if something weird were to happen here right now, like uh, uh, I, in fact, I should have done it when your phone went off, um, I should be going, oh, that's strange and unexpected. Could I be dreaming? Check my hand, four fingers and a thumb, flip it, flip it back, four fingers and a thumb. So I'm getting to a habit of doing that. So in the dream, that'll recur. Sergio would do this. Look down at his nose. Check, has he got a nose? Yes, then he's awake. Because at night, if something weird happens, he'll be in the habit of looking down at his nose. And in a dream, you don't have a nose because you're not seeing through your face, you're seeing through your mind. You go, oh, where's my nose? I must be dreaming. Oh, wow. So these are ancient things. Have you ever done a reality check and then it's actually, and you went, whoa, shit, I'm in a dream. Like, I don't mean... Yeah, like 90% yeah. of my lucid dreams. Like you've completely been... Because I'll t- describe what I mean. is See, if I'm in a lucid dream, it's um, like obviously the reality check is a sense of where it's just... For me for me anyway, it's it's not a sense of where I think, oh, I'm in a dream, then check me hands. Yeah. It's just more of a popping. Like yeah. I pop into it and I'm like, whoa, I'm in a dream. Yeah. But like you said where you, you think, oh, I'm in a dream, then you check your hands and go like that. Which yeah. is, just seems a little bit different to me. Yeah. I mean, have you uh, have you had that process? Yeah, like that's yeah. that's the majority of my lucid dreams. And it can be you totally think you're awake. Like there's one where I was I was in a dream well, I thought I was awake, right? I was in a bar yeah. with my mate Ed. We were at a bar, bar looked totally normal. Everyone was dancing, music was good. I could feel the bass vibrations. Ed's a DJ, so he was like in there. Maybe he was DJ. I don't know what the dream scenario was. We're at a bar, looks totally normal. Ed orders a drink. Girl next to me orders a cocktail I haven't heard before. 
not a really weird name, but yeah. just a name I hadn't heard. So maybe let's call it a, a, a Blue Sunrise. And I went, Blue Sunrise? I never heard of that cocktail. And just habitually, because I do it so much in the day, in the dream, I went, Phoom, and my hand changed. And I was like, you're fucking kidding me. That's wow. I'm dreaming. Oh my God. And I grabbed my head by the face and I kissed him and I grabbed the girl. I kissed her and I went, we're dreaming. And then I ran in the dance floor and, um, well, okay, we'll carry on. Brilliant if you said you're not. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I actually stripped off all my clothes and were dancing in the middle of the dance. When you, when you did that, when you said to them, I'm, a, I'm dreaming, did they react in, any, in, a, in a strange way? Because let's say if you went in a nightclub now and you said to someone, I'm dreaming, everyone would be like, everyone would probably look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, so the girl just looked at me like that and Ed, I just grabbed him, kissed his face and he was like, oh, like that and then I ran off. Yeah. Um, but I mean, people listening to this might think, oh, you know, is this guy psychotic? Does he think he's dreaming right now? This is the opposite of psychosis, right? Yeah, yeah. Every time when we go to sleep, every night when we go to sleep, our brain starts hallucinating a reality that looks so realistic we think we're awake. Every night when we sleep, we think our dreams are real. Mm. That is psychosis, believing internally generated hallucinations to be real. So actually lucid dreaming, once you become lucid in your dream, you go, oh, what I thought was real is actually a hallucination in my mind, is sane. Mm -hmm. So doing this reality checking in the day, a lot of people worry like, is this gonna make me crazy? The opposite. Yeah, of course. What's crazy is the fact we're walking around all day with like tunnel vision, mm -hmm. like not looking, not being aware, not noticing things. When you start doing this, you start to notice. Like no, to be a lucid dreamer is predicated on knowing the difference between hallucination and waking reality. Yeah. So although it sounds crazy doing this check and what if you were to do it in a real bar would everyone freak out and stuff, actually it doesn't happen because yeah. you definitely know the difference between a dream and reality more than anyone because yeah. that's what the whole practice is based on. Why I said that for as well is because when I had a lucid dream once, I was... Um I did the same thing what you did, but it was a different aspect. So where you were in the nightclub and you said, I'm dreaming, yes. Yeah. I got excited and I started running around on the, it was like a, a beach in the future. And I started running around and I was saying, what's the nature of reality? Like oh. running up to random strangers on the beach. What's the nature of reality? And they were looking at us like I was crazy. And it would be, the, and I was thinking it would be the same essence if I would to run outside here now and say to somebody, what's the nature of reality? They would, they would have looked at us the like exact same way right? yeah. as the dream would have yeah. as well. So that's why I asked you for it. That's well. a cool dream plan. So I've done that too. I asked, what is the nature of reality? Yeah. So I became a loser. What is the nature of reality? And this huge, um, what's that TV show? Like Family Fortunes, like a Family Fortunes TV screen yeah, yeah. appeared. And it had the question, it went, the nature of reality is dot, dot, dot. And it went like, boom, boom, boom. No, that's countdown. It made this like noise, <laughs> like, mean, like yeah. kind of game show noise. And it said, the nature of reality is... And then the answer was obtainable through lucid dreaming. I was like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I asked my teacher and he went, your mind, you know, that was telling you the truth. I don't think it was yeah, joking. Crazy. The nature of reality is obtainable through lucid dreams. Somebody said to me, I've taught you this, but I had the same thing where I was asking what's the nature of reality and not to tell the full story because I think I've told it about three or four times in the podcast. But it was basically a guy in the in the corner and then I had the sense of that I knew he was looking at us, yeah. which I think is interesting as well, tying into like intuition and stuff like that and the sense of being stared at. But I walked over him and I said, do you know I'm dreaming? And he said, yeah, I do. And then I says, what's the nature of reality? And he got scared. He didn't want to tell us the answer. Mm. And then he just turned around and went, the nature of this reality is not what we seem. Mm -hmm. And I was like, whoa. And then I was like, right, I'm going to ask some more questions. Yeah. And I went and asked more questions. And um, the dream muted his voice. Mm, that's cool. And I was like, whoa. Censored it. Yeah. So I, was getting, I started getting scared that again, at that what point. What I advise <laughs> is rather than asking the dream characters who represent tiny fragments of your psychology, the dream ask itself. the dream. Yeah. 
Because, like, if you're in a lucid dream and you ask an elderly uh, Chinese woman uh, your question, should I do the bungee jump tomorrow? Her answer will be predicated on all of your expectations, hang-ups, prejudice, history around Chineseness, femininity, Whoa. and elderliness. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, they, I they're kind of. Mean, yeah. um, whereas, if you ask the dream, you're asking your kind of higher self. You're asking that 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 big intelligence. So you can often get slightly broader answers. Wow. Have, you, have, you, have you ever played with the, the fact of where you see all dream figures um, disappear? Yeah, yeah, and then sometimes there's, there's people standing there yeah. looking. I think that's really the cool. last time really I did that was very scary. Actually, I went. Um, <laughs> I never shared this before. <laughs> Don't you know this is share it now. <laughs> I'll give it context so it doesn't. It's not supposed to. It shouldn't sound freaky anyway. Um, I became lucid and I uh, was calling out, calling out instructions to the dream. Oh no, I became lucid and I was calling out. This dream is made of love. This dream is made of love. And everyone in the dream was calling back. This dream is made of love. This dream is made of love. But there are a couple of people who weren't doing it. And I was like, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Maybe they're shadow figures who like don't want to kind of connect with love in the dream. And I, and I turned to them and I said, um, uh, oh, no, that's it. I turned to them and I thought, I wonder if they're in my dream. And I went, guys, how much of this is my dream? And they went, oh, about 20%. Oh, and I went, yeah. what's the rest? And they went beyond the dream. And I said, so only 20% of this is me. But why is everyone doing what I asked them to do? And the guy went, one of them went, because they're polite. And the other one went, because you're asking them to do nice things. And I was like, wow, okay. So, oh, so then I wake up in shock, right? Then I go back into a lucid dream. And I then start calling out, even if this dream is only 20% of my own mind, even if the majority of this dream is made of the universal mind, this dream is still made of love. Yeah. And the whole dream started chanting back. That is and cool. I re it made me think... Maybe it doesn't really matter if it is, as I think from a scientific point of view, of course, it's all your own psychology. Who, mm. What else would it be in the lucid dream? But even if it's not, the same rules apply. If you go into the dream and you invoke deep love and you show kindness to every dream character, every ant, every sofa in the lucid yeah, dream, you will create habits of love and kindness in your waking state and that can change the world. doesn't matter whether it's the astral or... The, or your personal lucid dream mm. state. Love is the most powerful force there is. And if you imbue everything with love, I can't think of anything better to do. It's, yeah, like it's interesting. I mean, Dan, we're um, reading, doing a bit of research on uh, on dreams. And we came up with, um, found a statistic that said 90% of dreams are, um, are like dark and fear-based and the most um, emotional that was in the dream is anxiety. Yeah, so is if you look at the Harvard... To, sorry, are these similar to um, lucid dreams as well? Or is no. lucid dreams more of a connection? If that's the same study, so Harvard did a big study on emotional content of dreams, and it did come back that the overwhelming majority of people's dreams that they remembered uh, had feelings of anxiety. It's so they were like, realistic you remember something more that's fear. Yes, so well. I would ask how many people remember their dreams regularly. So if they're working with a group who remember five dreams every single night, seven days a night, yeah. uh, you know, 35 dreams a week, then I think they'd have very different um, mm. uh, views. But if you're asking people off the street who can only remember maybe one dream a week or something like that, then they're probably going to remember the dream that was a bit anxious, that was, you know, getting their survival um, mechanisms in, in order, which is often what 
anxiety dreams are, you know, running for a bus, searching for something, fighting, fleeing, the four Fs, you know, fighting, fleeing, feeding, and fucking. Those will often come up on our dreams as a way to just kind of prep our survival mechanisms. Um, In that same study, if it is the same one, um, lucid dreams were like completely different. It was like 90% uh, positive. Uh, 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 containing positive emotion, the vast majority, Mm -hmm. Um, unless they were with nightmare sufferers, because a lot of people's first experience of lucidity is through nightmares, because nightmares have fear, and fear boosts your awareness. So like a third of all spontaneous lucid dreams start as nightmares. So when you work with nightmare sufferers, no, they'll say lucid dreams are, are horrible because I only they ever get lucid in nightmares. Them, wouldn't they? they could be really terrifying a lucid dream from an, a person who suffers from uh, night terrors or, or nightmares and they go into a lucid dream from what, they're, they, what they remember of a, of a dream state would actually be terrifying into the point of on, into a, like a real reality where they feel like they're trapped. Yeah, and yet lucid dreaming is one of the most powerful interventions for nightmare sufferers. That's what I was just thinking. That maybe that's a way for them to actually to face that and, yeah. and to maybe surrender and actually understand it. I mean, I remember you had a dream a while ago where you said to me, mm. he, had a, he used to have a dream a while ago, I don't think we've talked about this in the podcast, where he had a, he had a guy who used to keep coming to you all the time and getting closer and closer to your face mm. all the time. And I remember a while ago I said to you that you need to probably accept him and, and surrender and maybe do something nice to him, yeah, like hug yeah. him or something like that in the dream. And you were getting scared, more scared and more scared. And you said he was getting closer and closer. Mm. Mm. I mean, it makes total sense, right? Because nightmares are scary enough. Mm-hmm. But to be awake in a nightmare, that sounds like even worse, right? Mm. And yet, if you become lucid in a nightmare, it actually goes from... like Nightmares are like being in a horror movie, right? You think mm. you're actually going to die if you're being attacked yeah. or something, right? So you're in a horror movie. Once you become lucid, it's like watching a horror movie. It's oh, still wow. scary, but you're not... You know, you know that you're asleep in bed. You know your body's safe. You know this is a projection of your mind. So if you can get to that level of lucidity, which of course is a spectrum, mm-hmm. if you're fully lucid, then of course you'll know you're safe because you know your body is asleep in bed. But if you can get fully lucid in recurring nightmares, um, there's a lot of evidence to show they can be used to, to cure nightmares. So my big project for this year is um, working with veterans. Well, for the last three years, but this year I've got this scholarship thing to go to America and study... Um, cool. Uh, best practice in post-traumatic stress. No, sorry. Best practice in mindfulness-based PTSD treatments. Wow. Um, to go along with the nightmare stuff. Because a lot of veterans coming back from war zones have really, really bad nightmares. If you can get lucid in a nightmare, that seemed to be a really strong intervention. Do you think these are genetic as well? Because uh, I was just, because um, I was just thinking there. Because um, my dad, he, he suffers from really bad night terrors, and he always has, and always had really bad dreams, and when I was younger and still on occasion I get really bad dreams as well yeah um, so it could be like a lucid dream and could that also just like system to like their children and stuff like that could they like be say um, say if you had children yourself mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you do or not but um, would they be more susceptible to a lucid dream well if you look at the research in the last like five years in epigenetics like epigenetics used to be full on hippie stuff People saying, oh, you passed down trauma down the line, ancestral line. Of course, shamans have been talking about it for thousands of years. But from a scientific point of view, it's hippie stuff, right? Yeah. And then five years ago, the game changed. It's like epigenetics is now proved. You can get a, a, a mouse, and every time you show it the color red, you electrocute it, right? So it starts to associate red with electrocution. Then you show it red without an electrocution, and it starts to get really scared, right? So you traumatize the mouse around the color red. That mouse then becomes pregnant. The moment the mouse has the babies, you separate the babies from the mouse. 
You, so the babies have never been with their mum and have never seen the color red. Yeah. You show the baby mice the color red and they freak out because passed down in their genetic makeup is the fear of red. This is now scientifically verified yeah. proof mm -hmm. that what is fear? Fear is the basis of prejudice, of racism, of trauma, that the shamans were right. We, we, we can pass down trauma. So back to your question about nightmares. If the nightmares were based around trauma, then perhaps some elements of that could be passed down. Perhaps the nightmares themselves are traumatic events, in which case that could be passed down. But then the flip side also, yes, the capacity to lucid dream could be passed down, just like the capacity of athletic ability can be passed down to mm. generations. So yes to all of that. If, oh, wow. if this new kind of burgeoning science of epigenetics is, is to be trusted, which it seems like yeah. it is. I mean, I was shocked when I read that mouse study. Shocked. Uh, oh, and it went two generations down. Sorry. When those mice... The little baby yes, mice uh -huh. who were showed red. Once you went down, they had babies. It affected their grandkids too. So it went two generations down. That's like mind blow yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's incredible. Because then you think of God, think of people who've lived through holocausts, people who've lived through racial abuse, people who've lived through you know um, being born in war torn countries. How that's affecting us genetically, not just psychologically, but genetically as we pass it down. It's very very interesting stuff. It's like the example as well when people have. Um, we've talked about hypnotherapy on this on the on the podcast many few times and when people do past life regression and things like that yeah. people can actually pull back memories of of things that they didn't even realize and maybe that is coming from like the epigenetic standpoint what you were seeing there as well but um have you have you actually what's like been the most interesting dream that you've had i know you said one before but have you what's the one that mostly stands out for you in your mind like a lucid dream that you've had oh, dude. that's completely blew your mind that's such a difficult question <laughs> <laughs> that's literally one of the hardest questions you could ask me um, the, the, okay, let's just do some. No, so this won't be the, the right. greatest one, but just some cool. I like hearing the greatest them. One. That's like I like hearing them chef, for some right? reason. What's your favorite meal? <laughs> like, Fuck, what's your favorite <laughs> lucid dream? Um, let's think of some very interesting ones. Um, how about this? What's your most, I learned this from someone else. I heard someone else see us in the podcast before, right? On another podcast. I can't remember what podcast it was, but he said, how about you say, what's your, your third favorite dream. <laughs> okay, one just came to me. This is my third favorite one. I talk about it a lot because people are interested in it, but actually it's more, uh, it wasn't actually that kind of fun to do, but it's really interesting in the pod. It might be interesting for the podcast. Um, I was giving a talk at a Secret Garden Party, which is this really like quite kind of druggy festival actually a few years ago. And I had this like graveyard shift, man, like 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And I was like, <laughs> who the hell is going to come to my talk? But actually, 10 a.m. on a Sunday, people are still partying. Yeah, so you good. hear some dude on a microphone talking about consciousness and lucid dreaming and stuff. And everyone flocks in. So it's full of the zombies from last night, right? And I was telling this story about how I uh, healed an ear infection through lucid dreaming. Um, I had heard through Robert Wagner's work that yeah. you could heal physically through lucid dreaming. And I got this ear infection from surfing. And it was like glue ear, which is where your ear kind of just clogs up with mm. earwax, right? And I became lucid. All right, I'm dreaming. Right, I want to cure my ear. So I put my dream hand on my dream ear and I call out statements of healing intent. My immune system is boosted. My ear is healed. My immune system boosted. My ear is healed. And I imagine light coming out of my ear. And then in the lucid dream, all this earwax starts pouring out my dream ear. And oh. I was going, God, it's so realistic. It really feels like earwax. That's proper gross. And then I wake up in my bed at the Buddha center. 
and there's earwax coming out of my ear. And yeah. I was like, that's fucking nuts. <laughs> a physical, you know, response to a dream action. So I'm telling this dream. I'm very impressed with myself. I'm very pleased with myself. Telling this yeah. dream at this music festival. And this dude, I uh, don't know if he's one of, the, one of the zombies from the night before, but he's, <laughs> you know, obviously felt confident enough to yell something out of the stage. So he yells at me. He goes, oh, sorry, important note. I'm wearing my glasses at the time. I used to wear glasses, right? So he yells at me. He goes, why don't you fix your eyes? <laughs> and I was so embarrassed because it was like <laughs> full of like really cool like muso people. Yeah. And I was so embarrassed. I said, oh, well, you know, you can't heal everything. Some things, but yeah. I just chat <laughs> shit to try and get myself out of it. But I felt proper embarrassed. And then I carried on my talk. And as I was leaving, I thought, wait, what's the likelihood of me manifesting into my dream that dude, that shadow aspect, that guy who embarrassed me, who challenged me? And I thought, what a gift. Maybe it's not shadow. Maybe he's an angel. You know, maybe I should accept this challenge. Well, so I thought, I'd never heard of it. But, you know, just because I never heard of it doesn't mean it's not possible. So I thought, I'm going to try and heal my eyes. So I go into the lucid dream, do exactly the same thing. Okay, I'm dreaming, right, when I heal my eyes. Dream hands over my dream eyes, call out statements of intent. My eyes are healed, uh, my immune system is boosted, and then imagine light coming out. Um, and it was like super cool because you see light coming out of your hands, you feel like you're in the matrix, <laughs> you know, really, really cool. I wake up and nothing had changed. I could tell straight away my focus was still exactly the same. And yeah. I was like, fuck. Um, Did you try again? Yes. I tried again a couple of weeks later. Uh, and this time I thought, oh, I'll try the Buddhist stuff. Because in Tibetan Buddhism, there's like a mantra for everything. There's a mantra to, to, for purification. There's a mantra to say when you're doing this, when you're doing that. There's a mantra for everything. So one of them is a mantra of healing, uh, which is Om Bekenze Bekenze Maha Bekenze Radna Samagate Soha, which is oh. this medicine Buddha mantra, right? <laughs> I like and I get lucid. And um, in the lucid dream, I call out the mantra, Om Bekenze Bekenze Maha Bekenze Radna Samagate Soha. <laughs> and just because of the mantra, it's the dream starts like shaking. And I was, oh, it's happening. My eyes are being healed. My eyes are being healed. And I woke up and it was cool, but again, nothing had happened. I was aware this hasn't really happened. My eyes are still the same. Third lucid dream. This is the <laughs> kicker. I go in there. I think, right, I'm going to do the mantra so, so intensely. And I'm going to do the hands on healing. I'm really going to heal my eyes this time. And just as I was about to do it, this voice over an intercom, like, like an intercom system, or it sounds like an intercom in the dream, but my voice said, Charlie, there was a conflict in your eyes. And I was like, what? And it said, Charlie, there is a conflict in your eyes. And I was like, what a weird term, conflict in my eyes. Yeah. And then in the dream, I thought about it. I was like, oh my God, so much illness is down to conflict, right? A conflict between the immune system and the bacteria, a conflict between the muscles in my eyes and the lens. It just made sense. Yeah. And in the dream, I dropped my hands, no hands on here. I just called out, my eyes are free of conflict. My eyes are free of conflict. And the dream starts shaking again, like an like a earthquake. And for me, that's when the dream's like responding. Someone once said, oh, maybe that's the sound of your neural pathways re re rewiring themselves. No, I, like I have that. no that's idea. Who knows? That's good, that. But it sounds cool, doesn't it? It starts shaking. And even before I woke up, I was like, this is working. And I woke up, I never wore my glasses again. That is really cool. So, Holy what's the shit. explanation? That's my third, third favorite lucid <laughs> dream. So what's the explanation? Let's get really skeptical. Can I hear you first, please? <laughs> Let's get, yeah, we'll do that in a minute. Let's get skeptical about it, right? At the very least, it's just the placebo effect. And yeah, anyone who says just the placebo effect does not understand the placebo yeah, yeah, effect. Definitely. The placebo effect is the only 100% replicable aspect of all medical trials. Whatever medicine you trial, placebo effect will yeah. come into play. It's the only thing that always happens, it's right? A, yeah. Well, if you, the placebo effect is the only thing that's cured all known diseases on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's incredibly powerful. 
Um, of course, is that Joe Dispenza book, You Are the Placebo, yeah, my true. friend Robert, um, David Hamilton, he's written all the books about placebo effect and stuff. Um, if the placebo effect is the mind affecting the body, we could assume that when you engage the placebo effect within a three-dimensional projection of the mind, which is what the lucid dream is, it's the placebo effect times 100. Um, someone else said, oh, just because you believe in lucid dreaming so much, that's why it's worked. I was like, yeah, maybe it's my belief. Maybe it's the placebo effect. From a Buddhist point of view, it said that in the lucid dream state, your consciousness has between seven and nine times the power that it does in the waking state. So whatever wow. spiritual practice you do in the lucid dream, whatever healing you do in the lucid dream, it's seven to nine times more powerful than if you did that same thing in the waking state. Um, so who knows? There are lots of possibilities, but I don't wear my glasses anymore. Um, I don't have perfect eyesight now, but I know all the times I used to wear my glasses, uh, theater, cinema, watching telly, uh, teaching, I do not need glasses. Why, I like that. Why do you think it's more powerful? Have you ever thought about why you think it like, could be more possible in the dream state? Um, at the Buddhist seven to nine yeah, thing. Yeah. So the explanation for this is that right now, this is all a projection of mind too, yeah, yeah. but we don't know yeah. it. We seem really separate, right? Things seem really yeah. solid. When you go into the lucid dream, you know you're in a projection of mind. That's the difference. It's just as much a projection of mind as this reality from a Buddhist point of view, but you know it. And because you know it, things are more flexible. So you are less limited in a lucid dream than you are in the waking state. Second, in this state, you are, like we said about the death, you're limited by your gross corporeal form from a, we said that the Buddhist term, your body, basically. Like, we like to think our chakras are all spinning perfectly and stuff. They're not. Unless you've done a lot of work, most of us are totally blocked. But when we go into the lucid dream state, your chakras are spinning perfectly because you don't have a body. You're made yeah. of mind. Your body is made mm. of energy. So any kind of chakra work that you do in the lucid dream can manifest a level of energy far, far higher than the waking state because you're not hindered by the physical body. And the third element in the lucid dream, your sense of ego mind, your sense of self is much more flexible. Because in the lucid dream, you can turn yourself into a woman if you're a man, you can turn yourself into a dog if you're a human. Um, you, can, you can enter inanimate objects. I remember I entered into Nelson's column once just to feel what it was like to be that. It was just really still. It was like, oh, just nothing. This is, this is being an animate object. Because you can <laughs> do that, the ego is more flexible. And with the flexibility of ego, your innate healing potential is... Uh, comes online too scientifically they say your brain goes into gamma well they say they know your brain goes into gamma mm -hmm. when you go in the lucid dream state when you have deep lucid dreams so uh you know gamma is such a high frequency brainwave 10 years ago they didn't know it existed because they didn't have the computers to pick it up so if your brain's in gamma and you've got nine times the power of consciousness and you engage the placebo effect something's probably going to yeah. happen well well have you noticed any anomalies in when you've been lucid dreaming? Because one of my anomalies that I've noticed, and I've, I, I can't remember the guy who was it again, something Heath, I looked into his work, Keith Heath, I think he's called. You heard of him? Keith Heath. Keith? Keith Hearn? Keith Hearn, sorry, yeah. Keith Hearn. He has, um, he's tried to study this as well, and I think it's the anomaly of, um, and I've tried it in lucid dream, and I can't do it. See if you, um, like electrical appliances and things like that. Yeah, so that's another reality check, like the, um, the hand thing. They it, don't seem to work correctly? Yeah, so it's based on detailed pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so the neurological explanation of why reality checks work are when you're in the pre-lucid dream state, mm. there's a certain brain network that gets very little blood flow. And it's the brain network concerned with detailed pattern recognition. So if you're in the pre-lucid dream state and you want to tell if you're dreaming or not, see if you can replicate a detailed pattern twice in a row like this. Detailed pattern, detailed pattern. Look at your hand. Or electrical appliances like an iPhone screen. Detailed pattern, detailed pattern. Or a TV screen. Detailed pattern, detailed pattern. So it's not actually to do with the fact they're electrical devices. They're to do with patterns. Oh. So if someone's wearing like a psychedelic T-shirt, this actually one isn't that psychedelic today. Um, something with a uh, like a tartan pattern right yeah, let's yeah. say you're yeah. in a lucid you're in a dream and you want to tell if your dream or not look at a, a tartan pattern look away look back again because the part of the brain that details with that works with detail pattern recognition is offline the tartan will kind of glitch just like your hand glitches just like digital appliance glitches and then people might be watching saying oh but that doesn't explain the light switch thing because light switches sometimes don't work in pre-lucid dreams yeah. that is the same brain network if i were to switch all the lights off now and switch them back on again the entire pattern of your field of vision would change at the flick of a switch and the brain network isn't working so you, you just nothing will happen but if you keep on flicking the light switch for long enough it will fade because the brain kind of directs energy to other brain networks and gives it a shot is which crazy. is why when you look That's at your hand cool. the hand comes back with an extra finger or it changes in some way because although that left hemisphere network has little blood flow the right hemisphere has got fucking loads and that's about creativity so it goes I don't know, give him an extra finger, you know, make his hand <laughs> melt, uh, make the iPhone screen turn black and then on again. It, it gives it a shot. It's amazing. Yeah. But there is a neurological explanation to it. It's cool. That. That's cool. What, um, is, is there anything that you're trying to explore now in the lucid dream realm? Is there anything, you've, any certain things that you're focusing on or anything like that? Yeah. So the last thing that I did, again, I haven't spoken about this, but that's cool. Let's do it. Um, shall we do it? Let's do it. The last thing I was doing was experiencing hell. Wow. So I would not advise people who have not had a lot of lucid dreams to try this. But this was a lucid dream plan I wanted to do to experience hell. What is it? You know, because whether hell exists or not, so many thousands of people within so many different spiritual traditions have believed in a concept of hell that the thought form, the archetypal energy of hell will exist somewhere. Mm -hmm. it, and you can tap into it. And to tap into the collective unconscious is much easier in the lucid dream state than in the waking state. So I thought, even though I don't believe that hell exists, hell will exist somewhere in the collective unconscious. And what does it feel like? So I became lucid. And I remembered my dream plan and I called out, hell, I want to experience hell. Take me to hell now. And then I said, in the name of, and I said my teacher's name for some like protection, uh, which I'm sure I didn't really need to do, but I was just worried. I was like, this is way deep dream yeah. plan. Like this is, this is out. I'm going to go, this will take me out of, out of my head probably. And then all that happened, I was in the back of a car when I got lucid and I called out, take me to hell. And the entire dream went. And I became locked in this state. And then everything that had ever moved in the entire reality of the dream became frozen. There was zero movement. And then in this sense of frozenness, 
this incredible weight descended. Like, felt like I was like being crushed into place. Went... And then, third yeah. thing, time evaporated. There was no time. It was infinite. And I just had enough moment to realize this would be hell. Being infinitely stuck in a place of no movement. That's hell. It's like psychologically, that's hell. Yeah. We are constant, our body is constantly moving. Our psychology is constantly moving. If we were frozen for eternity in non-movement, that is what my brain thought up that's or what my thinking. psychology Maybe thought up. Maybe everyone's held differently. Yes, as well. absolutely. Um, that's really interesting. And then I woke up and, oh no, I tried to wake up and I couldn't get out of it. I was like stuck and I was like, just had a moment of panic of like, I know this is a lucid dream, but if I'm tapping into the collective and if time is gone, then even though my lucid dream may only last five minutes, my experience of it could still be infinity. And that freaked me out. And then I did a special breathing thing that you can do to kind of bail. And I did this special breathing and I bailed. And I was like, whoa. And that was, that was, that was quite shocking in my bed. It's crazy because I've had a lot of, um, I was really interested by the way, because I've been doing a lot of um, meditation, meditating on me deaf a lot. I know it's obviously a bit different from that. It's more of a visual context where obviously meditation is a lot harder for me anyway to get in that state. But I think it, it's sort of, when you, go, when you take your mind to them dark places or whatever you want to call them, I think it's sort of, it helps you develop your psyche where you are now on a, does that, does that make sense? do you think that that practice actually has done that for you i know like you like you said like if you have a practice like you said if you people have many different practices where here's here's this sounds crazy but see if you you, tr- you train your complete maximum like you you push your body to its complete limits where you've got no more mm-hmm. and you go to the phys- you go to the black spot in your mind and you take your body to complete pain and complete f- failure then there's like something that happens like a i can't it's hard to explain but it's like something opens up or something happens after the training like a realization and like if i have a death meditation or whatever it is it's like a realization of a stillness that because i've done because i've took myself to the, the dark spot mm. it's it makes this much better way i am now does that make does that make sense yeah, i don't even know absolutely. where i took that but yeah i mean there's, there's two points there one is meditating on death which is brilliant yeah. said you should meditate on death every day the dalai lama's main meditation now is is death meditation so six times a day he meditates on death now, I know how long that meditation lasts, and I've worked out that means there's a pretty good chance that he will die while he's doing the death meditation. Mm. Oh, if he wow. has to do that six times a day, then there's a good chance he'll die during the meditation, which would be the perfect place to die as you're actually visualizing the kind of chakras collapsing into each other. So meditation on death, yes, brilliant. Yeah. As far as pushing ourselves beyond our limits, yeah. I mean, the reason why I, at the moment, my personal dream plans are not dream plans I'm teaching. Um, like I would never teach at a workshop that people should go and experience hell. I would never yeah, teach yeah. them at a workshop to experience, um, to see if they can play with time. Um, uh, it's about me doing this for an amount of time that I've done so many dream plans now that I want to explore just the edges of how far you can go through lucid dreaming. Um, and that's not for me to, to tell other people to do that, but it's yeah. for me as a practitioner to keep myself on the top of my game. You know, there are a lot of people in this scene who have like one experience 10 years ago and they're still writing books about it. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, what have you done in the last 10 years? Like, dude, if we're sharing this stuff with people, it's like going to a, a personal trainer. If you 
go to a personal trainer, you want them to be in good shape. Yeah, definitely. And if you come to a lucid dreaming teacher, it is my duty to make sure my practice is at the top of its game. Like that. And that means pushing myself beyond where what I thought was possible. And the, the lucid dreams I've had in the last year, some of them five years ago, I didn't know it was possible to do that in a lucid dream. I thought there were limits to a lucid dream. Now I realize there are no limits to the lucid dream oh, state. Wow. There are limits of your mind mm -hmm. which will create limits. For example, why in a lucid dream is it very easy to walk through a room but more difficult to walk through a wall? In a lucid dream, the wall is made of exactly the same stuff as, as the air in the room. It's made of mind. And yet, when we walk through the air in the room, it's fine. We try and walk through a wall, we get stopped. It's made of the same stuff. So we yeah. see that the limitations of the waking mind are transposed into the lucid dream state and set themselves up as solid entities. Mm. Like you said, though, it shows like, how real the reality is in the dream. Yeah. Because obviously like, we can walk through the air, um, through air but we can't th walk through the wall. So yeah. we're building it off the basis of the reality. Exactly. So if we can spend our lucid dreams doing stuff like walking through walls, doing stuff like no gravity now mm. and seeing what a world with no gravity is, experiencing hell realms, also experiencing heaven realms, uh, moving time, you know, doing stuff that would seem like quite things that kind of push the mind's boundaries. Not only is that expanding our lucid dream practice, but think what it's doing to our waking state. And we know that when you practice athletics in a lucid dream, you are retraining your neural pathways to get better at athletics in the waking state. Studies for days about that. A lot of them, Heidelberg University, Max Planck Institute, German Sports Science Association funded a lot of them because they found out their athletes could get better by training in lucid dreams. I often think, okay, if the brain networks are being changed when we practice our press-ups in the lucid dreams, what the fuck is happening to our brain networks when we walk through a dream? <laughs> when we walk through a wall in a lucid dream. Yeah. You know, what's that? When we fly through the sky in a lucid dream, what neural pathways are we laying down? Neural pathways of the impossible is not impossible. Through a brick wall, what seems to be solid is not always so. Yeah. When we expand time, what seems to be the time-space continuum can be changed. It's like, that's mind expansive. And if we're fucking spending our lucid dreams just like walking about, talking to people, and then having sex, it's like... <laughs> like it's, I'm doing. <laughs> no, no, it sounds like you're doing brilliant stuff in your lucid dreams. But it, it makes me... The metaphor, I I, the, the image that I have is the difference between stage hypnosis and hypnotherapy. Mm. Hypnotherapy is an amazing practice that has help treat millions of people through trauma through abuse through um uh you know uh, childhood fears all this kind of stuff and yet the state that a hypnotherapist brings you into is exactly the same brainwave state as the hypnotist who tells you you're a chicken uh yeah. in the uh, club in ibiza where you have the stage <laughs> hypnotist doing funny yeah. things right hypnosis can be used to make people dance like chickens and complete entertainment but also to cure people of childhood trauma exactly the same with lucid dreaming but in the lucid dream you are the hypnotist you have to just you, you know one uh, us we have to decide are we going to spend our lucid dreams pretending to be fucking chickens yeah. or are we going to use our lucid dreams to heal our childhood trauma to explore the nature of reality and to prepare for the moment of our death i know what i choose yeah mm. i like that how much this, oh, go on, go no this is it's going to sound absolutely insane actually i mean i say this but um you know when you you go beyond like your own self your own character and you go into something that you'd never even thought like possible mm. like could you even commit an act of um 
an act be so far beyond something and you, like say you committed murder in your dream, in mm-hmm. this dream is something like that even possible or would your own vision of yourself no that's not me i can't do that you could use the lucid dream to just like you can use mindfulness meditation has been trained american military person i've been trained to be better snipers by using mindfulness meditation uh and yet this is an ancient meditation tool from from buddhism right you could use lucid dreaming to walk around shooting people and to just use it like a video game and stuff like that but that's like shooting parts of your internal psychology that is going to be very bad for your mental health are you going to be killing like a part of yourself if you were (sighs) it's all about motivation it's like there is actually a very high practice again i'm not advising people to do this um in the lucid dream where you intentionally kill yourself um to experience death this is not just like a thing like oh i'm going to kill myself and it's not because you have suicidal tendencies because what is the scariest thing you could possibly do in the lucid dream do it yeah. And once you've done everything that you think is the scariest thing you could possibly do in the lucid dream, move on to the ultimate fear, which is death. So actually a very high practice in lucid dreaming, and you find this in the Tibetan t- tradition and in the Mexican tradition, is to kill oneself in the lucid dream state. Because that is the, it requires such a high level of lucidity to know that I am absolutely safe and that there is nothing to die. This self is an illusion both in the waking state and in the dream state. Um, that would be very different. That would be a very high and very spiritually demanding practice compared to running around killing people mm-hmm. in the lucid dream, which would just be like a child's play, kind of treating it like a, like a video game. Um, fear is one of the, the main things to work with in the lucid dream because it's said that fear is the greatest block to our psychophysical, uh, psychospiritual system there is. Mm-hmm. So like there are four stages of dream yoga in Tibetan Buddhism. Stage one, recognize the dream. Stage two, so the first thing you're advised to do once you're lucid is work with fear. It says walk through fire knowing that you cannot be burnt. Jump from a high place knowing that you cannot die. Um, call forth a tiger. And these are medieval. It's like yeah. a medieval translation that's funny English. Call forth a tiger. Um, once the tiger appears, you have three options. Number one, befriend the tiger. Number two, turn the tiger into a Buddha. Number three, <laughs> ride the tiger like a friendly horse. I'm like, that's so cool. And of course, my job in the workshop is to update that. Yeah. So I say, what is your tiger? Is it the tiger of childhood trauma? Is it the tiger of your relationship with your dad? Yeah. Is it the tiger of your self-doubt? Whatever your block is, whatever your fear block is, bring it into the lucid dream, which is at least a huge virtual reality simulation of your own psychology and heal that part of your psychology from within. Mm. And you will wake up a different person. That is the cool thing about lucid dreaming. You don't need to believe in it. There's no guru to worship. There's no religion to be part of. You don't need to email me to ask me, have I healed my eyes? Have I healed my childhood trauma? You will know it. You Mm. will feel viscerally different the day after a lucid dream healing than you did the night before. And that's brilliant. How many practices can you say offer you concrete evidence of results without any need for faith so all this stuff on this podcast like anyone who's watching this and think that's bullshit yeah. the death thing yeah. that's bullshit the health yeah. thing that's bullshit he healed his eyes brilliant see it as bullshit until you do it yourself that's the main teaching of buddha himself two and a half thousand years ago his central teaching take nothing i tell you is true till you find it to be true yourself test everything yeah. like when i first heard that teaching i was like i am buddhist yeah. I heard that quote yeah. when I was like 80 and I was like, that is my tradition <laughs> because I want to test it. I don't want someone to tell me 
what works. I want to try it. And exactly the same with this lucid dreaming. Any of this stuff you think is bullshit, test it. See if it works. How much do you think is, um, when you have been lucid dreaming, how much do you think is actually, is the unconscious versus like something else? And what I mean by something else, maybe, I mean, when I've had a lucid dream, like I said to you, I've asked the dream figures, like all dream figures disappear. And I've mm-hmm. had instances where it feels, it feels like in the dream realm that they're, it's a, they're, they're having their own experience just like i'm having my human mm. experience now i mean mm. have you questioned how much actually is your unconscious mind versus another yeah. reality maybe i don't know how so in, put it, really. in my second book i got this chapter called the one percent mm-hmm. where i talk about you know 99 percent of everything in the lucid dream is your own psychology the reason we uh one of the reasons the evidence is this is if you are dreaming if you're lucid dreaming about riding a bike we can see the brain centers to do with riding a bike light up. Exactly the same brain centers light up when you're riding a bike in the waking state. So they put someone on an exercise bike, brain scanner, check the brains, lucid dream, get them to ride a bike, exactly the same part of the brain. So we know that there is a link there between the brain and the mind. But that is predicated on a belief that the brain generates mind, which I would challenge already. Yeah. But I would just say from my own experience and also from a Buddhist point of view, like 99% of everything in the lucid dream is you because you can see it's your fears. If you are scared of spiders in a lucid dream, that's what crops up as your fears. Um, when you meet your dad in a lucid dream, it's not really your dad, it's your psychological representation of your dad. Like almost everything is you, it's your baggage in there. When you have an out-of-body experience, totally different. Out-of-body experience, it is 99% universal yeah. and 1% you. But a lucid dream, I always said it was 99% your own mind, maybe 1% something else. And that something else is archetypal energies, uh, enlightened beings, uh, ancestors, relatives you can communicate with in the lucid dream. Since writing that book, I think it's probably a lot more like 90 to 10%. Oh. I still think the vast majority is your mind. I mean, still 10%, that's, that's big. That's yeah, quite yeah. a lot that, that I'm opening up to is possibly not being your mind. Yeah. Um, and that dream I had a few months ago where I asked the dream and it said it was like 80% not my mind. But who knows, babe? Because my fear is that that's possible. If I'm working with shadow, which is a manifestation of fear, it's very natural that the dream would say that to freak me out, to give me some fear to work with because it's feeding me energy. So I, I don't know. So do you kind of search for that now? Do you search for the shadows? Because you yeah. So once you get lucid, go intentionally go and look for what you're scared of. Because it's interesting because when I had my uh, lucid dream, and I'm like, like Dan, I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times, uh, mine was at an airport, and suddenly... Um, I was just walking. I was like, "Why? Why am I at an airport?" And I was just like, "Wait, there, I'm in a dream here." Yeah. And suddenly, yeah. Uh, come on, let's just test what I can do in this dream. Yeah. So I started looking outside, and I seen all these planes lining up, and I started flipping the planes oh, that's upside cool. down. I just thought, <laughs> with your know, mind, just yeah, with the intention, they mind, just flipping these planes, and then I was saying like, I don't like the way this is all. So I. I changed the way everyone was sitting uh-huh. and I changed like the way the furniture was and then there was a comic book stand and so I go over at this comic book stand and there's this guy looking at us and I'm looking at this guy and I start changing all these comic books around and then this guy looks at all these other figures around this room and I start like looking at all these other figures and I thought well I'm still in the dream so I tried to change them but I couldn't change them so I was like eh so I was like still trying to change them like it's a superhero like storm uh-huh. in the uh, X-Men or something and they just kept walking over to us and suddenly like they're getting closer and closer and I'm like oh god I am, I am screwed here I can't not do anything I'm stuck <laughs> in this dream I'm completely lost and 
all of a sudden like this comic book guy got getting bigger and these other creatures like like creatures them these people start just like forming overs and overs and suddenly i'm like like i'm on top of his i'm lying yeah. down and i'm like on top of his and i'm like i've got to wake up here i've got to wake up so i just like forced myself into this wake up state and i'm like i woke up in this sleep paralysis, paralysis. Yeah. and that was the scariest thing one of the scariest things i've ever had had when you were it's only momentarily but my girlfriend was right next to us and i'm starting to like i'm like looking at her she's looking at her it's like like i'm insane and i'm just like screaming i was trying to scream my name and she was just like you don't even see anything mm-hmm. i'm I'm screaming i need full voice but nothing's coming out mm-hmm. and then i went i can't move and then i just shoot myself up and all i've seen is this like red pentagram mm-hmm. like in the room and like i just look at it and then i just like collapse back and and then i see it or um did you see that red pentagram in the room that red pentagram she went i thought the room was red and i was like holy shit <laughs> i just didn't understand how she felt like that room was red as well mm-hmm. so but it's interesting it's, it's one of my interesting i've never had a dream so like that since with that lucid dream i got too scared from it so let's let's say for a for a moment that possibly that was an element that wasn't you right this is why i believe that regardless of what it is whether it is all you or it's something else as long as you're interacting with a dream with full respect and full love and full power that is your protection so like because you are changing a lot of the dream you're kind of flipping stuff making people move about changing the comic book it's like if that was just your psychology kind of it's your mind you do what you like right but if it was a shared space, then actually there's other people who spent ages putting those magazines in order. Oh, who wow. put those planes there. So maybe it was the, a bit like the film in, in Inception. Yeah. When she first gets loosened, she starts changing everything. And the dream characters start getting a bit annoyed. And he said, don't change too much. You know, don't change too much. Because then there's some, you know, it can kind of uh, stir up stuff in the dream. Whoa. Whereas if you go into the dream, you know, I like to, someone once said, live life like someone's watching. Because they always are. Now, they were into, into like, God, right? So they were like, God's always watching. Mm-hmm. And I think lucid dream like someone's watching, in case they are. You know, as in when you're in the lucid dream state, just imagine, like, okay, even if this is all my mind, if I am sharing it with someone, am I happy with what I'm doing? Am I just messing about? Am I just doing stuff that's really non-beneficial? Or am I doing my meditation? Am I healing? Am I sending love to others? Am I expanding my mind? I think if you're doing that, then it doesn't really matter whether it's all your mind or not. You'll be safe mm-hmm. in that. Um, yeah, who knows? So is there any way you can just have fun without these dream characters stopping you? <laughs> yeah, totally. I spent the first three years of my life just having sex and skateboarding in these dreams. <laughs> my mind did nothing to stop me. Go to flip a plane. That, like, that's quite interesting. Yeah, flip a plane. Yeah, have a massive orgy. Either or. Whatever floats your boat. <laughs> do you... Do you um, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, do I think you, you had more fun in yours than I did. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say, I've lost my train of thought there. What I was going to say again. Oh, yeah. Because me and Chris before... Um, obviously in preparation of this podcast as well we're watching a few videos on on dream and just to get our minds prepped and stuff and we came across this guy can you remember that guy who was sharing dream air uh, supposedly was turning up in everyone's dreams have you heard about him oh the little picture of someone. yeah yeah do you think that could could it actually be possible for somebody to actually well now he's turning up in everyone's dreams yeah yeah obviously people because everyone's looking them. at the thing i'm like you are definitely when i saw yeah. it on facebook i was like yeah 
millions of people are now going to dream of him. Yeah. Well, no, because, of course, it's installed with yeah, emotional yeah. impact. You want to dream about something, mind. give someone an emotional impact in the day. Give them a shock, give them a surprise, give them something novel. We often dream about novel things or new things in our life, right? So if that's the first time you come across that post, first time you've seen that face, you're very likely to dream yeah, about it that night. And then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So yeah, I think he is turning up in yeah. everyone's dreams, but, but not because it's anything yeah. real. <laughs> but, but prior to that, do you think it could, could it actually be possible for, you, for like, say, you to enter someone else's dreams? Like, have you ever tried entering your girlfriend's dreams? I've had or? so many people telling me I'm in their dreams, right? And it's bullshit. I don't enter anybody's oh, wow. dreams. It's wow. like they dream of me because they spend eight hours looking at me on a workshop day. You know, if we got a weekend workshop, that's like 16 hours where you're just sitting there looking at me talking. Yeah. So the likelihood of you then dreaming about me that night is really high. It's not because I'm entering people's dreams and they're like, oh, but I think you just have to say that, don't you? But actually you are. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not like I'm awake and I'm trying to fake it and trying to say I'm not. It's like, I'm really not. I really don't know how. And if I did know how to enter people's dreams, why would I enter yours? Yeah. Like, however... Me and my wife have tried this, yes, because we thought she's a really good lucid dreamer. So we thought, could we enter each other's dreams? Just an experiment. Um, if you are going to enter people's dreams, like if me and you, like tonight, right, the, the possibility of one of us three dreaming of the other is really high because mm-hmm. we're hanging out. doesn't mean we had a shared dream. doesn't mean we entered each other's dreams. It means yeah. we dreamt about what we did in the daytime. So anyone who says that for their definition of a shared dream, that's, that's you know, that's yeah. bullshit, to be honest. But that doesn't mean the concept is bullshit. It is possible for two people to meet in a dream. But if you want to do it, you need to use a password. So if I get lucid tonight and you get lucid tonight and we try and enter each other's dreams and we meet each other, we need to share a password. And then in the morning... Ascend will be the password. (laughs) And then a password he doesn't know. Uh, uh, Then in the morning, we would email the dreams and you would check the dreams and tell us whether we had a password hit that's as close to like a, a, a blind experiment as I you can do um, so we were trying that for a while nothing was happening either jade was lucid and i wasn't or i was lucid and she wasn't um, then eventually she got lucid i was in south africa running a lucid dreaming retreat she got lucid and she tried to send a past image so she thought, oh, the past words aren't working. Maybe I'll send a past image. So she sent the image of a woolly mammoth. She went, woolly mammoth in the Charlie Morley's dream now. I send a woolly mammoth in the Charlie Morley's dream now. Now, at the same time, including the time difference, on the other side of the world in South Africa, I have the following dream. I'm in a dream in an urban environment. I'm not lucid, um, a n- normal non-lucid dream. Into this urban environment, an elephant just turns up and walks into the dream. And I was like, <laughs> but cool. got a little bit lucid and was like, what the fuck is an elephant doing in this? This, is, <laughs> this makes no sense. And the elephant walked up to me, bowed its head, and went like, mur, like ride me. So I go in this elephant, I'm riding it. What a weird dream. This makes no sense. <laughs> Two weeks later, I get back. Jade says, what did you dream about on, the, on uh, August the 11th? I was like, oh, I don't know. Let's check. I checked my dream diary. Oh, something to do with an elephant. <gasps> elephant? You got an elephant? And I was like, what? Yeah. And then she showed me hers. Yeah. And it had her plan, sending a mammoth in, the dream she had. So she sent a woolly mammoth. I got an elephant. You can't say it's 100%. Oh, it's close. maybe it lost its fur on the kind of transition. Yeah, it's a long way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a long way. <laughs> <laughs> and South Africa's hot. It was like, I'm too hot. Exactly. I'm going to drop my fur. Yes, 100% hit. That's a long way. Yeah, so we, we experimented with it. And I'm sure other people have had direct hits. It's possible. It's just rare. Mm. It's like... You know, it's rare for someone to be able to run 100 meters in eight seconds. It's rare for someone to be able to bench press five times their body weight. Rare, but possible. Like if you train in the gym, like, you know, 
six hour, uh, six times uh, a week, four hours a day, you can do amazing things to your body. If you meditate 10 hours a day for seven days a week, you can do amazing things yeah. with your mind. It's not, it's so many of the things that we think are impossible are just the fact we haven't done them yet. Because we haven't tried hard enough. We are fucking, our life is like living, it's, we're in these Ferraris. This is like yeah. a Ferrari, which we drive in the first gear. Most people get to their deathbeds never, firstly, not knowing they were driving a Ferrari. Yeah. Secondly, if they did uh -huh. know they were driving a Ferrari, they didn't know it had six gears. They kept it in first gear. Every now and again, you find someone who, first of all, realizes they've got a Ferrari. Second of all, hits it to sixth gear. And we call those people awakened or outliers or crazy you know the the, the uh god I'm trying to get a story right now four minute mile is that it yeah that they said was impossible yeah roger right? bannister mile. and robert bannister did it and then roger bannister yeah. right and he it was the anniversary a few months ago or something within four months of him doing that you know five other people also did it five yeah. other people within a few months because he proved it was possible yeah once people knew it was possible they could do it too there are so many things that we think it impossible because just no one's done it yet because they haven't tried hard enough they haven't put the effort in yeah. yet but we can and we choice. will and there's so much stuff mm. if we're watching this podcast in 100 years they'd be like oh poor lovers they really thought you couldn't communicate psychically yeah. through yeah. These yeah. oh poor yeah, exactly. lovers he's still know. going through dreams <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, they'll just feel sorry for us because <laughs> we just didn't know we don't know yet yeah. look at them with the microphones yeah with their <laughs> microphones instead of doing it telepathically yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should we leave it there that's a good spot isn't it brilliant spot man. cool thank brilliant. you cool. thank you really cool thanks, thanks so much guys it's been cool. a real pleasure I love what you do it has it's been a real blast Thanks so much for listening. We really loved chatting with Charlie and thanks again for Todd letting us use his place. In the dream realm is always such a good talking point and it's something that we all love to ask the question about what it, what the dream realm really is. And what's really interesting to me is that we all do dream or have dreamt at one point in our lives and it is a really fascinating thinking point to think what it really, what really is going on there. <coughs> So anyway, I hope you like this podcast and if you want to support what we're doing here, please consider becoming a Patreon and Patreon really is the best way to support what we're doing here. And as you know, we've never threw unnecessary things into your, down your throat, into your consciousness with stupid advertisements that don't serve you, like stupid men's underwear ads, ads about mattresses, things like that. All we ask you is if you consider becoming a patron and donating a small amount each month and help us to keep doing what we're doing. And once you become a patron, we'd also love to see you in the private Facebook group we have going on. We have a great little community going on in there. And just in general, if this podcast is an important part of your consciousness and week and you are getting some value or entertainment, we really would be appreciated if you could sign up to the Patreon page. So anyway, we love you all and we'll catch you next week. Peace and love.